From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, the White House spent a good bit of yesterday explaining President Biden's statement that Russia is engaged in genocide in Ukraine. Well, he called it a genocide uh, yesterday, not once, but twice, actually, because, as he said yesterday, it's becoming clearer and clearer each day that it is Putin's aim to wipe out the idea of being Ukrainian, that we're seeing greater brutality increase day by day. The interest in the use of the term is linked to the fact that the definition of genocide is spelled out in the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, which, once identified, requires action. We'll get the uh, latest from Ukraine from freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton, who is on the ground in Ukraine. And speaking of genocide, a Chinese Christian family has managed to escape the Xinjiang region and is now in the United States revealing the depth of the atrocities of the Chinese Communist Party. New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith, who, along with others, helped get the family into the U.S., joins us later with more details. While the legacy media claims Republican lawmakers like Governor DeSantis are simply advancing a wedge issue of parental rights in advance of the fall's election, the facts would state otherwise. Parents are actually leading the charge and elected officials are just catching up. I'll talk with FRC's Meg Kilgannon later on this edition of Washington Watch. And state after state is advancing legislation to protect the unborn. We know that 60-plus million Americans have been denied the right to life because of the Roe versus Wade and the Casey decisions. And it's about time that we end that tragedy in our nation's history. That was Oklahoma Attorney General John O'Connor at the signing of Oklahoma's new law, making performing an abortion a felony in that state. Yesterday, the Kentucky legislature overrode a veto by Democrat Governor Andy Beshear that puts in place a law that is very similar to the law in Mississippi, which the Supreme Court is expected to rule on shortly. The law makes most abortions illegal after 15 weeks or nearly four months of pregnancy. We will uh, talk about what a post-Dobbs America will look like with former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Dr. Ben Carson. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there at TonyPerkins.com, along with other resources that can help you be an informed and engaged citizen. Our verse for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. A reminder that the choices we make have long-lasting implications, not only for ourselves, but for generations to come. Choose life, love God, obey his voice, and stick with him regardless, for he is your life. I invite you to join us in our two-year Bible reading plan. Go to frc.org Bible. And also each morning at 8.44 a.m. Eastern Time, you can join me for a daily devotional based upon the Bible reading plan. You can find it either at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. It is day 50 of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and Moscow has been dialing up its brutality and messaging, even threatening to upend 
the nuclear-free status in the Baltic region if Sweden and Finland join NATO. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky continues to appeal to the West for more arms and support, saying that lives and victory in Ukraine depend on them. Freedom must be armed better than tyranny. Western countries have everything to make it happen. The final victory over the tyranny and the number of people saved depends on them. Arm Ukraine now to defend freedom. With me now to give us an on-the-ground update is freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton, who is reporting live from Ukraine. Chuck, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to be here, Tony. All right. The, uh, the president earlier this week describing Putin's actions in Ukraine as genocide. Uh, the administration spent a lot of time yesterday trying to explain that. From your perspective, what do you see happening there in Ukraine? Well, today, uh, just to give you an example, I went and toured a children's hospital here in Nikolaev, uh, down in the southern part of Ukraine, uh, that was hit with a 2,500-pound bomb uh, just about 10 days ago. Uh, the, the bomb dropped right in the playground uh, in the middle of the compound there. Uh, and fortunately, nobody was killed because they had just moved all the children out of that region and sent them elsewhere uh, for the time being. So uh, it destroyed that wing of the, uh, but nobody was killed. Now, uh, is that genocide? The people here say, look, you can call it whatever you want, but we just know it's evil and it's wrong. And uh, the the question is, why are they doing this? I, I walked around Mikolaev today, uh, again, about 10 days ago. They were under a barrage of rockets from Russia that killed about 100 people. And these uh, small uh, bombs that, bomblets, I guess, you know, that uh, anti-personnel bombs that are being dropped from what they call smirch missiles, uh, they, they shoot out thousands of these little pellets that I've got in my pocket here. Uh, they're, they're made of steel and they rip through flesh and bone and buildings and everything else. And so it's almost like firing a, a machine gun in a residential area. These are not being dropped on uh, troops. They're in the open. They're not being dropped on military targets. They're being literally randomly fired into this region in an attempt, obviously, to just uh, just break the will of the Ukrainian people. So I was asking them, how does it make you feel when you sweep these things up and all the broken glass from your homes? This home that I'm at here tonight was hit by one of these uh, these bombs. And uh, they uh, they said it makes us want payback double. Uh, it doesn't break their will. It's only strengthening their motivation to fight the Russians, and they know that they can't give up. They can't uh, surrender to the Russians because it will only get worse. They will get the Bucha treatment if they surrender. So I think it's a, a real tactical and strategic error on Russia's part to try to do business this way. But it's obvious that this is the only thing they feel that the Russians feel like that they can do, because whenever they try to engage militarily with Ukraine, they lose. Well, that clearly would be fall into the category of war crimes if you're targeting civilian populations. Uh, genocide, a higher threshold of literally trying to exterminate a, uh, a, a people, an ethnic group, uh, that might be a, ha a harder case to make. But certainly the war crimes, one which many other uh, Eastern uh, or European leaders are also uh, pointing out with Russia's action. 
Um, what is your assessment of you've talked about the Ukrainian people, but what about the Ukrainian forces? How are they doing right now? Uh, today on the way here, I, you know, I have to be careful about uh, talking about the disposition of the Ukrainian forces for obvious reasons. But I can tell you that today on the way here, we passed several uh, Russian tanks that were on the back of flatbeds being hauled by Ukrainian trucks back uh, toward uh, the uh, away from the war zone so that they could be refitted, repainted and sent back into the war. As it turns out, Ukraine is actually ahead tanks. Uh, right now and armored vehicles uh, since the beginning of the war because they've captured so many Russian tanks. They've more than made up their own losses and uh, they're upgrading their capabilities uh, through Russia. Now, of course, uh, Ukraine is asking for a lot of military assistance, but uh, it's obvious that they are getting quite a bit of military assistance because of the number of these uh, anti-tank missiles and uh, drones and things like that that they've been given, but also because of the signals intelligence that the Western countries, the Five Eyes countries, are gathering and passing along to Ukraine that Ukraine is then using to, for example, kill Russian generals uh, based on their signals, the, the, the uh, communications coming out of their command centers. You're talking about the, the resolve. The Russians now kind of, it appears, moving into a more prolonged, protracted uh, engagement in eastern Ukraine. Are the Ukrainian people, are they up for that, for a protracted fight? Well, here's here's the numbers that I think you're not hearing in the mainstream media. They are talking about this renewed push from the east uh, coming in uh, in the southern part from the Donbass region uh, to try to crush Mariupol and then move on and take uh, this this city where I am today, Nikolaev, and then Odessa. Uh, the problem with that is uh, Russia only has about 50,000, from what I'm told, about 50,000 combat-ready troops at this point, and the Ukrainians have about the same number. Now, uh, battlefield math tells you that if you're the aggressor in a conflict, you need to have at least twice the number of troops in order to be assured of victory. And so it looks like the Ukrainians being much better motivated, much uh, better equipped than they were before, and with the help... Uh, like I said, the signals intelligence and things like that from uh, the United States and the other Western countries, uh, they have a real good shot of actually winning this thing. Uh, and it's, it's not for sure at all that the Russians, even with their superior numbers uh, of, of tanks and armored vehicles, are going to roll right over the Ukrainians in this southern part of the country. Uh, to your knowledge, have the Ukrainian forces taken... Uh, many Russian forces captive, have they surrendered there? I know there have been some. I have not heard a lot about them for a while. Uh, when we were based in Kiev, they were putting these Russian soldiers that they had captured on television every day, uh, at least the ones that wanted to go on television. It would be, a, uh, I believe, a, a contravention of the Geneva Convention to force uh, soldiers to go on television, but uh, so these soldiers would go on and give interviews, the Russians would, and they would say, we're not being uh, resupplied. We have, we have no communications with our higher headquarters. We don't want to be here. We never intended to do this, uh, that sort of thing. 
so other than those ones that they were putting on TV, we're not really sure what's happening to the Russians that they're capturing or that are surrendering now. And uh, we have heard some uh, pretty horrible stories about what's happening to the Ukrainian soldiers who get captured by the Russians. Yeah, well, and that only makes the resolve to fight uh, even more so because you don't want to surrender. Uh, final question for you, who are up against the clock, the human- humanitarian side of this. Uh, are, are supplies getting through to the civilians? What are the greatest needs right now? Well, I, I just came from Lviv and then took an t- overnight train down to Odessa and then today came here to Nikolaiv. And I can say that Lviv and Odessa are wide open. The stores are open. The restaurants are open. The hotels are, are opening back up. And they are absolutely packed with uh, internally displaced people. So most of the people in Ukraine that haven't left the country are now in the western part of Ukraine. And uh, so there is quite a bit of business going on there and lots of supplies getting in. Uh, no shortages of gas or anything like that. Now, here in Mykolaiv, because we're so close to the, the front lines, uh, so to speak, uh, there are shortages of gas. That things are not open, uh, there are no restaurants available or anything like that, or even hotels. And so I'm staying with a family here uh, that actually had one of these cluster bombs go off in their backyard uh, just a few days ago. And so we, they actually got into their house through a broken window that was shattered by some of these uh, cluster bombs. Well, Chuck Holton, uh, we pray for your safety and uh, grateful for you giving us an update uh, live from uh, Ukraine. Good to see you. Take care. All right, folks, uh, continue to pray for the the people there in Ukraine for a quick resolve to this. Coming up, a Christian Chinese national who spent 10 months in a Xinjiang detention camp has arrived in the United States. We'll talk after the break with Congressman Chris Smith, who was among those who worked behind the scenes to make it happen. Don't go away. We're coming back after this. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. 
To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Ovalbeck Turdakin, a Christian Chinese national who spent 10 months in Xinjiang detention camp, has arrived in the United States after months of behind-the-scenes work by legislators, international attorneys, and Christian leaders. Ovalbeck is the first Christian detained in the camps to publicly come forward, and many believe he will provide crucial evidence that China has committed crimes against humanity in Xinjiang and elsewhere. His testimony of continued faithfulness despite tremendous suffering is both inspiring and bears witness to the crimes against humanity of the Chinese by the Chinese government as well as the commitment of the church in China. Joining me now to uh, to discuss this is one of the key figures working on this issue, no stranger to our audience, U.S. Congressman Chris Smith, who is the co-chair of the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission, senior member on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs and ranking member on the Subcommittee on Africa, Global Health and Global Human Rights and International Organizations. He represents New Jersey's 4th Congressional District. Congressman Smith, welcome back to the program. Tony, thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for your work on this a specific case, because you were very much involved yourself. Well, Bob Fu on our team was uh, working with you. So let's just start here. Uh, can you provide the viewers and listeners an <laughs> overview of this case and, and what we know thus far that uh, Ovalbeck endured? Well, in December of two, uh, February of 2018, uh, his name is going by Joseph Dale, Joseph Ovalbeck, uh, was put into one of the infamous concentration camps being run by Xi Jinping, the dictator of China, uh, in the Uyghur area. Um, he's a Christian. Many of those who are being so horribly punished and tortured are Muslim. Uh, he's a Christian. So they, you know, if, if you're from that area and, and your ethnicity doesn't live up to what the Chinese Communist Party wants, uh, they will torture you. And he spent 10 months uh, in, that, in those infamous gulags uh, being tortured in ways that are just beyond beyond the pale, uh, put it into this chair called the, the chair, uh, which uh, uh, with all kinds of electricity running through his body, they use deprivation of food, uh, a light that just never goes out. Uh, so, you know, you just become all discombobulated. Uh, and all of these other tortures, beatings, just just beaten constantly by these guards. 
Uh, he endured it all. He has a very strong Christian faith. Uh, he was let out, put under house arrest in um, in uh, December of 2018, and then made his way the next year into uh, uh, into Kyrgyzstan. Uh, and then the Chinese Communist Party started to say to the Kyrgyz government, we want him back. Uh, so he then fled to Istanbul uh, in Turkey, uh, and um, he was helped by a number of people, uh, including Ethan Gutman, who's done tremendous work on, on a lot of issues related to uh, what Xi Jinping is doing. Uh, uh, and, and to make a long story short, um, we then uh, made a strong appeal uh, to certain parties within the administration that he has he ought to get a parole from Turkey to here. In other words, the ability to come here because he can provide significant information uh, that will help in a criminal trial uh, or a crimes against humanity trial that we think should be set up uh, to to lay bare the horrific misdeeds by Xi Jinping right from the top, who has said right from the beginning, show no mercy, and they have shown no mercy. So uh, his testimony will be will be critical. Uh, and he has that I saw yesterday at a meeting we had with him, uh, the powers of observation. He remembers every detail, uh, and that'll be very helpful uh, and I think persuasive in court. Of course, Congressman Smith, this is significant because most of what we have is evidence that uh, is either through satellite or through some uh, some on the ground intelligence in various parts. But rarely does someone get out of this region of China and is able to testify directly before a government body. So this is a significant development. Oh, it is. And, and I have asked him if he would uh, testify before my commission. I am the co-chair of the Tom Lantos Commission. And just like Rabia Kadir before him, who goes way back years ago, and, and others, uh, he wants to mend a little bit, you know, get his feet on the ground, but he will preside, provide testimony, I know, to us. Uh, but that's just the beginning. Uh, you know, what he can provide uh, to investigators to bring an action uh, in an international criminal court proceeding uh, can be huge. Uh, there are a few other people who have come forward, uh, but his is most recent. And, um, uh, and again, it brings the additional, uh, whether you be Muslim or Christian, uh, Xi Jinping uh, will torture you. Uh, and, and, and I mean, they were doing things like making them sing communist songs. Uh, you know, it, it is all part of a, of a uh, effort, and it fits the five criteria, frankly, uh, of genocide, uh, which is what they're doing in Xinjiang. Every criteria is being met uh, to utterly destroy their ethnicity, their religious beliefs. Um, and they're even doing the forced abortion uh, in a very more aggressive way than they do in the rest of China to just eliminate the children uh, that they bear. And thankfully, uh, Joseph and his wife Julie brought their their young child, uh, uh, Daniel, with them. Uh, so he's free now, too. Congressman Smith, this is not a new issue to you. You've been working on the Chinese Communist Party's abuse of human rights for some time. China, as we're seeing increasingly, has a long arm reaching here into the United yes. States, even into our <laughs> own government. Is there concern about intimidation of uh, Joseph as he's now here in the United States? Uh, it's a great question, and there are concerns. Uh, Wei Jing Chang and, and so many others, Quen uh, uh, Guan Chen, I should say, uh, many others have been harassed while they've been in the United States as being political prisoners formally. Uh, so the FBI does, uh, you know, very much encourage uh, reporting to them and to law enforcement 
when any of that happens. But the Chinese government in every country uh, have agents uh, who are on the prowl, uh, seeking whom they can hurt and destroy. Uh, so he needs to be very mindful and look over his shoulder, he and his family, uh, because uh, they uh, – they are, I wouldn't say omniscient or, or, you know, but they're ubiquitous. They, they are everywhere and they have whole parts of their foreign policy apparatus that do just this. Uh, so, uh, and we got to make sure we do everything we can to protect him and his family as well as these other people who flee this tyranny. And I'm going to challenge our viewers and listeners to be praying for him and for you and the others that will be involved in Uh, interviewing him and getting the information to get a better picture of what's actually happening in China to the Chinese people at the hands of the Communist Party. Congressman Chris Smith, always great to talk with you. Thank you for your leadership. Two genocides going on right now, Putin in Ukraine, and one that some people have taken their eyes off that ball, and that is what's going on uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. So we need to re-engage as never before because the victims are being uh, added to every second of the day. You're right. You're right. We've got to leave it there. Thank you, Congressman Chris Smith. Stick with us, folks. We're coming back with more after this. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Across the nation, parental rights and education bills continue to make their way through state legislatures. And with all of the attention that has been given to Florida over its new parental rights law, momentum appears to be building. This despite the fact that the media wants to attack the authors of many of these measures. 
On Tuesday, the Missouri House of Representatives granted initial approval to a wide-ranging bill that tackles transparency in schools and makes clear what rights parents should have when it comes to the education of their children. The Parents' Bill of Rights, HB 1858, now awaits a final vote in the House. Here with me now to talk about the movement we're seeing in states across the nation is Meg Kilgannon, FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies. Meg, welcome back. Thanks, Tony. What a great conversation to have today. Well, I'm glad we're having it more frequently because it's I cannot keep up with what's happening at the states, and this is unusual. But here's what I want to talk about, because I was reading this uh, an AP article. I believe it's an AP article. I, I could be mistaken uh, about the Missouri law. And here's a quote from it. it says it. This marks the latest example of Republicans stoking culture wars in the midst of an election cycle by forcing votes on divisive issues, including abortion, transgender rights and race sensitivity training. Look, lawmakers from coast to coast, well, actually not the flyover land, they're actually just catching up with where parents have been the last two years. Now, that that is exactly right. And it, it shows you that um, they want to characterize us as the aggressor in the culture wars when it is the left that is just advancing and advancing ridiculously dangerous for children ideologies in schools and parents are very rightly saying no we don't want this in our schools we want our children to learn how to read and how to write and how to think critically uh, but that we don't want them to think in critical theory marxist terms at the end of their time in school and so the the you know hysteria that heaven forbid we, we might be defending ourselves against their better judgment on the left is really quite amusing. Well, it's it's the legacy media. It's what we've come to expect of them. You know, the, the left pushes these this stuff, this indoctrination in kindergarten, uh, first grade, second grade, third grade. And when it's discovered and parents raise a ruckus and lawmakers respond by saying, wait a minute, we can't do this. We're going to we're going to stop it like they did in Florida. Then the left accuses them and the media accuses them of being the aggressors, as you pointed out. It's absurd. But here's here's what I'm encouraged about, Meg. And you tell me if I'm uh, on track or not. It does not appear that we've yet reached the zenith of this parental involvement. Oh, not at all. And the, the Republican lawmakers who are offering these bills are not the the long term legislators in the state houses who are approaching retirement age. These bills are being offered by young fathers and young mothers who are in the state legislature who have children in school and they know what is happening in the school system. So that. They, they are not going to be told that this is not really happening, that the, the answers that might satisfy uh, an older legislature, legislator with longstanding relationships with the educational establishment might be satisfied by answers, uh, reassurances. But these people know because they're parents themselves. They know what's happening in schools, and they are definitely going to try to change the system. And that's why you see this hysterical coverage from the legacy media they don't want the system changed because they're the ones controlling it right now. And, and I think you can appreciate this as uh, having been in the Trump administration and the Department of Education, that we're seeing more lawmakers post 
Trump era that they're willing to fight for what they believe in. And, and the American people now expect it. Conservatives expect their elected leaders to fight for what they claim to be for. And I think that, you know, look, we'd all rather not have the conflict, but if they're going to take us down, to quote uh, Secretary Becerra, take us down the rat hole, well, look, I'm going to fight to keep the country from going down that path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we get called the bullies in the equation when they're the name calling bullies that's that start all of this. And when we respond to defend ourselves, then we're called haters or racists or homophobes or fill in the blank with the demeaning terms that they will use to characterize concerned parents who simply want their children's innocence not molested in public school or private school, for that matter. Um, it's, it's, we're not setting a very high bar here for, for what we don't want them to do. That, you know, not telling kids about sex in between the ages of, of four and eight in the public school setting doesn't seem like it should be that hard to ask. And what's going to be really interesting is to see as these, these bills that are modeled on the Florida legislation start popping up across the country, which is already happening, and we see this case in Missouri as well. Um, they're going to be tinkering with the upper and the lower age limits. Like the, the Missouri bill might go up to grade five, for example. And they're right. going to try that out at the legislature and have a debate about that. And this is a conversation we want to have. Absolutely right. needs discussing. I mean, uh, let them learn their ABCs before you expose them to STDs. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not real hard. Uh, teach them the basics. It's common okay. sense. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you, Tony. And folks, let me encourage you. There's still time for those of you that are considering possibly running for office, supporting those that are going on to school boards. FRC Action has some resources for you, so you can check it out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, don't go away. We're going to be joined next by Dr. Ben Carson as we take a look at what a post-Dobbs America could look like. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media. 
even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Well, as the nation prepares for a Supreme Court ruling in the Dobbs case, that's the abortion case out of the state of Mississippi, this is a ruling that could come within weeks. An effort is underway at the state level to prepare for a post-Dobbs landscape. You know, we've seen tremendous success in advancing the sanctity of human life lately, uh, such as in Texas and uh, actually earlier this week in Oklahoma. We talked about that yesterday and even yesterday, Kentucky, uh, where the Republican-controlled legislature overrode the Democratic governor to approve a law very similar to the one in Mississippi. Meanwhile, there are states, such as Colorado, where the abortion lobby has a stranglehold. And the governor recently signed a law allowing for abortions up until birth. My next guest publicly commented on this and was censored by Facebook for simply stating the facts. Joining me now to discuss this, as well as the pro-life effort in the states and where we may be headed post-Dobbs, is our good friend, Dr. Ben Carson, former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and now founder and chairman of the American Cornerstone Institute. Dr. Carson, welcome back. Great to have you. It's always good to be with you. You know, as as you mentioned, we have some turbulent uh, times upon us, but I really think the key to to solving these issues is having a well-informed populace. And more and more people are beginning to understand what is going on inside of a woman's uterus. You know, in 1973, when, when Roe v. Wade was decided, uh, we didn't have nearly as much information about what was going on in that uterus. And also, you know, it is actually possible, uh, the silent scream and, and some other mechanisms, to actually see an abortion. And what you see is that baby in the womb with a beautiful little face with nose and eyes and ears and fingers and toes, able to move, a heart is beating, circulation is going. And then you see introduced 
a suction tube. And you actually see the, the baby move away from that thing before it tears off one of the arms, one of the legs, tears off the head. You see all the blood going down the tubing. I mean, it is barbaric. How could anybody even conscience doing something like that? And I, I think people are starting to, to see that and recognize it. But we also have forces that are trying to censor things. You know, we, we simply talked about the Colorado law and how barbaric, demonic, in fact, it is to be killing babies. And, uh, their, their politifacts censors said, you're telling a lie because we don't do late term abortions, or if we do, they're only rare. And people already had a right to that. What a bunch of garbage. Uh, what they did is they codified the, uh, privilege, I guess they call it, of being able to kill babies. And they say, well, we don't do a whole lot of late-term abortions, but the data shows in 2020, between 22 and 24 weeks, that they did 217 abortions. And they did six even after 28 weeks. So to say that we're lying, to point this out, uh, shows you where they're coming from. Well, also the data is uh, is has tremendous gaps because of reporting problems, and this is one of the issues that many states and the Congress has tried to deal with is making sure these states are actually reporting these late term abortions because they say oh, they don't happen. Well, we don't know because we're not getting the uh, the facts. And I want to go back to uh, to your earlier point, Dr. Carson, about science. And that not only are we able to see what an abortion looks like, but we're able to see what a baby looks like. Science. Yes. Science. You know, I, that's something we hear a lot about. Follow the science. Uh, but and, the science supports the truth. And I think that's why we're discovering the left really doesn't like science. Well, you know, a lot of the young people today are moving toward the, the pro-life uh, position because they've grown up being able to see those ultrasounds and to learn about that science. And they've also been able to see that sometimes in cases of premature birth, you know, as, as low, low as 20 weeks, we're able to save those babies. And we're able to see some of the results of that now, normal human beings. So all of that, I think, should give you pause when you're saying, that's a meaningless bunch of cells in a woman's uterus. It's not going to have any potential. And then look at all the people that we know who were slated for abortion. It was botched or something happened, and they were born, and they turned out to be tremendous people. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. The stories, the science, it's compelling uh, when you look at the sanctity of human life. And we see what's happening at the States in the last decade we have seen nearly 40% of all pro-life laws passed since 1973 have happened just in the last 10 years. The movement in this nation is toward life. And when yes. we consider the court that is uh, going to be releasing the, the decision in the Dobbs case very soon, what does a post-America or a post-Dobbs America look like? Well, you know, a number of pro-life groups including American Cornerstone, uh, American Conservative uh, Union, uh, 
Susan B. Anthony List, uh, Heritage. Uh, we've all gotten together to talk about that and to try to fashion uh, an approach, regardless of what the outcome is of the Supreme Court decision this summer, because we have to be prepared. And even if things go our way, uh, there's no time to sit and rest because there's going to be a lot of turmoil around it, no matter how it goes. And we need to be providing people with some guidance in terms of whether the right things to do with some legal guidance as well uh, as to what their rights are going to be, because you know the left is going to come out with the all guns blazing. Yeah, we've we've uh, we've had those conversations about, uh, you know, the states. This goes back to the states. So state legislatures like we see. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, Oklahoma, uh, Kentucky, uh, the ball is going to be in their court. But also it's the, you know, the non-governmental organizations. It's the churches. It's the care pregnancy centers that then are going to be really on the front lines of addressing the issues in a, if if the court goes in the right direction, uh, a, a post-Dobbs uh, America where ministry becomes even more important. It becomes so important to also to recognize that those women who have an abortion need help too. Uh, we, we can't just throw them away. Uh, they have frequently severe uh, emotional issues that impact their lives. And uh, many of them have been converted to pro-life uh, positions. So, you know, we need to take a, a comprehensive look uh, at the whole abortion industry and what it produces. You know, some are thinking, well, the court could put this to rest. In fact, I've read some articles that if the court, you know, doesn't go the right direction in terms of at least allowing the states a greater role in deciding this public policy issue, that uh, pro-lifers will pack up and go home after all of these years of focusing on the courts. And I think they've got it completely wrong. First off, I think... I don't think America is going to tolerate abortion any longer. I think the court, if the court gets it wrong, I think they could further divide this nation because I'm telling you, pro-lifers are not going back. No, no, we're, we're definitely not going back at this stage. We've made too much progress. And really, if you just stop and think about it, I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking about precious human life. We're talking about two gametes with half the number of, of a full complement of chromosomes coming together, forming a zygote. And within six to eight weeks of that, I mean, that's nothing. You've already got a face. You've already got fingers and toes. You've already got a heart beating. Are you kidding me? And you're going to say that that doesn't mean anything, that that's not a lie. You know, a, a lot of the people who are pro-abortion are the same people who go around saying, we got to save the snail darters and all these other little creatures. Well, those creatures are less sophisticated than that baby. Why not save the baby? You know, Dr. Carson, you you often speak to this. In fact, this is what you were speaking to in Colorado, in part talking about the demonic nature of, uh, of abortion and the disregard of human life. But we, we cannot disconnect this from the bigger moral, spiritual uh, 
condition of America. And while abortion and ending abortion, or at least moving us back toward a position of the recognizing the sanctity of human life, there's a bigger issue here. And I believe it's the moral and the spiritual condition of our nation, which Mm -hmm. I think this gives us an opportunity to address. And this has ramifications far beyond pregnancy, does it not? No question about it. I mean, uh, family and faith, you know, those are some of the pillars that uh, the Marxists identified as ways to bring America down in any ways that they could attack those things. You know, a lot of people think that this is this is something that's new. This has been going on for a long time. Uh, you know, Khrushchev said that your children's children, your grandchildren's children will live under communism and we won't have to fire a shot. They've had a long-term agenda for undermining those strengths that made America virtually impregnable. And it's working, but it it hasn't succeeded yet. And it's going to be us, those who actually recognize those fundamental core principles that made America great, who are willing to fight for them, to stand up for them, knowing that you will be attacked, knowing that there will be problems. But the fact of the matter is you cannot be the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. Absolutely. And that's why I'm I'm actually encouraged. I'm very encouraged by what we're seeing at the state level, whether it's in Florida, whether it's in Texas, whether it's in Kentucky, Oklahoma. I mean, all these states where lawmakers are standing up in the face of an increasingly hostile media, as well as the, the social media that is wanting to censor them and silence them. But they're not backing down. Well, you know, it, there's possibility that Elon Musk may help out on the social media. <laughs> we never know. You never know when the when a white uh, horse is going to come riding over the hill to help. But we do know that God is in charge, and that uh, we can always go to Him to seek wisdom and power. Well, Dr. Carson, that's a good note to end on as we move in toward the Resurrection Weekend. What is uh, what is your prayer for America as we uh, as we focus on what is the most significant uh, time in the Christian faith? Well, you know, if you look back on, on the history of America, there's been four major revivals, and generally they've been centered around pestilence or war. We got both of those going on now. So this time for another revival, that's my prayer. People begin to wake up and realize that as we moved away from our faith base, we have gone downhill. It's not a coincidence. And when we grasp the things surrounding our faith in God, our belief in family, right and wrong, we took off like a rocket ship to the point that no one in the world could even understand how America became so great so quickly. And that's why the Tuckville came over here and did a study and concluded at the end that America is great because America is good. And if she ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. It's our opportunity now to make sure that we bring that goodness back. Time to rediscover the old paths. 
Dr. Carson, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, find out more about what Dr. Carson is doing. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow the links over. And so grateful for Dr. Carson and, uh, and what he's doing in his voice and the fact that he is bold. He's courageous. He's not backing down. And by the way, I'm encouraged because what I see unfolding is very much like the parable of the wheat and tares that Jesus talks about in Matthew. Yes, there's bad stuff, but there's good stuff, too. And it is growing. And we need to focus not always on the weeds. Yes, we'll recognize that they're there, but we need to focus on the good things that are happening. Look, tune in tomorrow for a special Good Friday Passover edition of Washington Watch. I'll be joined by my good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs, as we take a look at the significance of Passover and Good Friday falling on the same calendar day this year. So that's uh, tomorrow. So be sure and tune in and invite your friends to join us as well for a special edition of Washington Watch. Always great to have you with us. Check out the website, Tony Perkins. Again, lots of information there for you and contact information for our guests. It's always helpful if you contact them and say, hey, heard you on Washington Watch. Great to hear you. Until next time, let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.